Welcome to the Crazy Good Vintage Podcast, a production of Part-Time Pickers. Here's your host, she doesn't jiggle when she wiggles, Kelly Gunn. Hey everybody, welcome back to Crazy Good Vintage, the weekly podcast about all the vintage things that you love. I'm honored that you've taken time from your busy schedule and so happy that you've joined us. This week's episode is about one of my favorite American brands. I feel like I've said that before, but I have a lot of favorites. But this one, it turns out, not everybody feels the same way. I'm talking about J-E-L-L-O, Jell-O. And while I think of it fondly, as I reflect back on the many ways my family prepared the economical food, I was surprised to hear that there are those who are almost repulsed by it. I was recently listening to a great podcast called Stuff You Should Know, where both of the hosts, Chuck and Josh, who I really enjoy, by the way, had pretty strong opinions about Jell-O, and they were not favorable. I was surprised at my reaction to their disgust. I found myself getting a little defensive about a product that I have had a relationship with most of my life. Call it silly, but I wanted to speak out for the Jell-O lovers everywhere and hopefully convert a few new ones. Like many American brands, Jell-O has a really interesting story, which started in 1897. But gelatin itself has been around for centuries. Gelatin origins go back to the Middle Ages, when it was actually popular with the elite and even served to royalty. So what about this jiggly, fun food was so appealing to the upper crust? It's really all about the process. The process of making gelatin was quite complex. Gelatin's main ingredient is collagen, which is why they say gelatin pills are so great for your hair and nails. But the collagen was produced by filtering pigs, ears, and feet. Now, you had to have a lot of bones to boil to create this, so you had to have a lot of meat, which, of course, only the wealthy had. You also had to have a large staff to make it and, of course, a cool space for storage so that it would all gel properly. All of these factors were critical and also available only to the rich. So, of course... Gelatin dishes became a royal favorite. Now, I know all this talk of filtered pig's feet has you amped up and ready to make your first jello salad, right? Well, just give me a chance. It gets better from here, I promise. Hundreds of years later, gelatin makes its way to America. And though powdered gelatin had been patented in 1845 by Peter Cooper, who, interestingly enough, also created the first American steam-powered locomotive, the product in its original state didn't catch on. It wasn't until 1897 that struggling cough syrup manufacturer Pearl Waite decided to do some experimenting in his Leroy, New York home. By adding sugary syrup, he made the product more palatable. Pearl's wife, May David Waite, dubbed the improved product Jell-O, a name that would one day be a part of the fabric of America. Now, unfortunately for the Waits, they didn't have the means to market or distribute the new product, so agreed to sell two short years later to Frank Woodward. Frank was the owner of the Genesee Pure Food Company, 
and they sold it for only $450, an amount equal to $14,000 today. Now, Frank had a couple of things going for him as he tried to turn Jell-O into a mainstream product. New technologies, such as refrigeration and efficient machine packaging, were critical to his success. But it was Frank's marketing genius and skillful execution of strategic advertising campaigns that really grew the brand. An example of that was in 1902, when Woodward's Genesee Pure Food Company placed ads in Ladies' Home Journal, proclaiming Jell-O as America's most famous dessert. That started the ball rolling. But real growth came when he started communicating about how easy it was to use Jell-O. He created cookbooks full of recipes showing how to incorporate it into their daily meals. Popular recipes included ingredients like cabbage, celery, green peppers, and even cooked pasta. Through his sizable sales force, he distributed the free cookbooks to the public. And it only took him three years to establish sales of $250,000, or $7.4 million today. Not a bad investment for that $450. This strategy really resonated with the public, and demand continued to grow. The company then partnered with Norman Rockwell to produce cookbooks and advertisements that depicted Jell-O in family-friendly situations, which created the company's wholesome reputation. So you have to check out these gorgeous works of art. I would hang one of these on my wall today. It's so beautiful but I've posted a few examples of these on the website, crazygoodvintage.com, so take a look when you can. In 1923, Genesee Pure Food Company changed its name to the Jell-O Company. Kind of rolls off your tongue a little bit easier. Only two years later, Jell-O merged with Postum, who went on to acquire Birdseye Frozen Foods in 1927. This conglomeration, Jell-O, Postum, and Birdseye, would ultimately be known as General Foods. The Great Depression soon followed, and as you might imagine, was really good for Jell-O business. It showed the public how to preserve foods and transform them into an affordable meal. These congealed salads were all the rage in America in the 1930s, and corporate knew it was the perfect time to expand the line with a new flavor. Not just any flavor, mind you, but possibly the best Jell-O flavor of all time. And yes, of course, I am talking about lime Jell-O. But they had to spread the word. In 1934, Jack Benny became their spokesperson. And it was his band leader, Don Bester, that wrote the famous Jell-O jingle, which resonated with generations to come. I sang it for you earlier. J-E-L-L-O. And as you can see, it resonated with me as well. In 1936, chocolate instant pudding was introduced. It was a huge success right out of the gates. I mean, what's not to love? Its popularity inspired the addition of many flavors, including butterscotch, tapioca, vanilla, and rice pudding. And in World War II, Jell-O's popularity continued to grow. Jell-O created recipes that taught the public how to use rationed goods. It also became very convenient. Women were starting to join the workforce but still had to take care of the families at home. Jell-O allowed them to create something at night and pop it into the fridge, making it a huge time saver. Jell-O was a great substitute at dessert time because fat was rationed, right? So you couldn't make a pie or a cake. So Jell-O became their dessert of choice. So now we're moving into the 1950s. 
And for me, the 1950s really represented Jell-O at its best. Dinner parties were all about the elaborate Jell-O salad. What's better than a decoration you can eat? We discussed on an earlier episode how fashionable it was to have a piece of Pyrex at your dinner party or your potluck. The same was true with Jell-O. You wanted to impress the neighbors with your Jell-O creation. To support the craze, Jell-O introduced vegetable flavors such as celery, Italian, mixed vegetable, and tomato. And no surprise, those flavors have since been discontinued. But the love of Jell-O continued into the 1960s, and sales significantly increased. Mothers needed easy more than ever before, as more and more women took jobs. And Jell-O was easy. You just had to add boiling water, stick it in a fabulous Tupperware mold, and pop it into the refrigerator. But as the decade progressed, sales started to decrease. The everyday salads gradually turned into special occasion salads, so moms just weren't buying it the way they used to. In the 1970s, Jell-O sales continued their steady decline. And really, I mean nosedive decline. Hundreds of millions of dollars. As an attempt to increase sales, Jell-O partnered with Bill Cosby in 1974 in what would become one of the longest celebrity endorsements in history, lasting 29 years. But the relationship in many ways highlighted a problem with the brand. Families had long ago stepped away from it being the centralized part of the meal, and while it was used at the holidays, Jell-O was thought of as something exclusively for kids or for hospital rooms. In 1985, tobacco conglomerate Philip Morris bought General Foods, and in 1989 merged it with Kraft, creating Kraft General Foods. Under Kraft General Foods, the Jell-O brand tried to make the most of the diet crazes of the 80s and 90s, marketing it as a diet food, which did not help its overall popularity. But not all was grim. The 80s and the 90s gave birth to some iconic moments for the brand. It was in the 80s that Jell-O's marketing team scoured through the old recipes and reintroduced the public to Jell-O-molded snacks, or Jell-O jigglers. And of course, this is when we, some more than others, were introduced to Jell-O shots. And how can we forget Jell-O wrestling? But though the latter two were a departure from the family-friendly brand, the state senate of Utah, embracing Jell-O's family values, recognized Jell-O as official state snack of Utah and declared an annual Jell-O week in 2001. During the 2002 Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City, one of the souvenir pins even depicted green Jell-O. Jell-O is so popular in that part of the country that there is a region referred to it as the Jell-O Belt, which encompasses Utah and parts of the surrounding areas. This region consumes more jello than any other part of the country. I think the Mormons got it going on. I just bought my green jello today for the holidays. Our family has made frothy lime salad for generation, and Thanksgiving and Christmas wouldn't be the same without it. If you haven't had a jello salad, this one will win you over. It's got crushed pineapple and mandarin oranges and cream cheese all poured into a Tupperware jello mold. What can go wrong with that? I'll put the recipe on the website, crazygoodvintage.com. Please let me know what you think. It's never too late to start a new family tradition. So yes, 
I can see that times have changed and that Jell-O may not be as relevant as it was decades ago, but it remains a very viable brand. According to a 2019 article by tasteofhome.com, 75% of Americans have a box of Jell-O in their homes. I was thrilled to hear that. Because just as it has preserved food for over a century, it needs to be preserved for generations to come. I hope you guys have loved learning more about Jell-O. I hope you learned some new things that maybe you didn't know before. Wanted to take just a second to tell you how much we love providing this free content for you guys. If you love the podcast, if you're enjoying it, please take a minute to rate us and review us. Those ratings and reviews really make all the difference to a, a new podcast. So thanks so much in advance for that. And now it's time for your crazy good flashback. Did you know from 1892 to 1924, Ellis Island was America's largest and most active immigration station. The first of those immigrants to enter the U.S. were three children from County Cork, Ireland. The story goes, as part of their in-processing, the three youngsters were welcomed with a jello snack, a tradition that continued with the 12 million that would follow in years to come. Crazy, right? If you like the show, take a minute to subscribe to the podcast. We are grateful for the support. And if you have any suggestions for future podcasts, please email me at kelly at crazygoodvintage.com. Until next time, this is Kelly Gunn, your part-time picker, signing off. We'll see you on the Pickin' Trail.